Hi everyone and welcome to our podcast, Mapping the Nutraceuticals World. I'm Sean Maloney. This episode will focus on the sports nutrition market. The American Herbal Products Association will be presenting its inaugural Sports Nutrition Congress on Wednesday, October 21st. The full-day virtual event will cover market trends and dynamics, innovation and research, product testing and quality assurance, and much more. To get more insight on the event, as well as the sports nutrition market overall, I spoke with Robert Wildman, who chairs APA's Sports Nutrition Committee. He also serves as the Chief Science Officer at Dimatize. As a registered and licensed dietitian who has authored four books, Rob is a globally recognized expert on health and sports nutrition. I understand this is the first Sports Nutrition Congress APA is presenting. Can you discuss the thought process behind it, the planning, and how the agenda was developed? Well, this is the 10th anniversary for the Sport Nutrition Committee of the American Herbal Products Association. And, you know, we really wanted to do something special this year. Um, but with COVID, you know, we had to move to a, an online or virtual uh, Sport Nutrition Congress. So, you know, but even before that, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. And we are really proud of the expertise and we are really proud of uh, the diligence and the hard work of all the members of the Sport Nutrition Committee. And really sort of the, the heart and soul of it, you know, is really just working together uh, to create a better industry, you know, for, you know, for consumers, for the people that use our products, whether they're, you know, sport foods or uh, sport-related nutrition supplements, and even beyond that as well, because a lot of brands and suppliers work in other categories. So we really wanted to focus on, you know, creating a, uh, an educational platform and to make it practical as well. So there's a, you know, we wanted to really showcase best in industry practices in all the different areas that we touch as as the Sport Nutrition Committee. And um, so that would include everything from, you know, building your business through better innovation or how to be the most compliant that you can and work within the, you know, the guidance of the FDA, um, how to absolutely minimize your risk and liability um, by making, you know, good decisions as how you market products and how you test your products and so forth. Uh, and then also, you know, how do you invest in, in research and intellectual property so that we know more about ingredients and the products that we market as well to really kind of break that day up, that educational platform up into a very practical education and how-to format to really help brands and suppliers and any consultants and testing entities and so forth you know, work together within the industry, understand not only, you know, how can, how can they be better at what they do, but how do I better understand what everybody else is doing so that there's a more comprehensive and cohesive and collaborative um, structure to, you know, the sport nutrition industry. Sure. So overall, what are your goals for this event? Who should attend and what do you hope they'll take away from it overall? Well, so in sport nutrition, you really kind of have two different types of uh, events. You have very educational, scientific, um, you know, uh, sort of, you know, athlete-driven or performance-driven types of events. And, you know, so that would, might be like the International Society of Sport Nutrition or something like that. It, this is not that kind of event. You know, we're not talking about, you know, uh, benefits of specific ingredients or training or anything along those lines. We're focused more on 
you know, uh, product development, innovation, regulatory compliance. Um, we're more focused on liability risk reduction and so forth. Anybody who is involved in those aspects within our industry should attend. Um, not only will they hear from and be presented material from absolute experts in specific areas, and we're really trying to work within the wheelhouse of, of all of our of all of our presenters. We're hand-picking each presenter because their, their company and their, you know, their knowledge base and expertise is very strong in a particular area. So they can become, an, you know, they're the educator. They're the, they can lay out a how-to format um, and you know, really just sort of bring it all together. So it would be anybody in product formulation, um, quality control, quality assurance, legal, uh, innovation and research and development. It's really a comprehensive industry platform that, you know, a, a lot, it, it really touches a lot of different entities. We've also reached out to universities as well because there's a growing, uh, growing development of sport nutrition programs with industry tracks because a lot of students are educating themselves in sport nutrition, but they want to go into industry. They want to work with performance brands or uh, ingredient developers and so forth. So that this is also an opportunity for them to sit in and really begin to understand what the future may look like for them. Sure. You have an interesting keynote speaker. What perspectives do you expect David Vibora will add to the discussion? You know, David is – I've known David for a while, and um, his facility, uh, Adaptive Training Foundation, is, you know, one that's really, really special. And, uh, you know, at the heart of anybody who is training to make improvements in their lives, you know, is just that, you know, the, it's the heart and the soul of that individual. So, you know, David works with a, a very specific uh, group of individuals who train, and those individuals uh, have special requirements. Um, a lot of them are military veterans uh, who have experienced injury. Maybe they're amputees or they have uh, neurological deficits uh, in, you know, as, as a result of their service. Um, and he works and his coaches work with those individuals. It's sort of a subset um, or it's an often unseen group of individuals who exercise and train and so forth, but the nutritional needs are, are there as well. So Dave, his story, Dave Abar's story is, is so moving and so inspiring that, you know, we wanted to bring it forward because sometimes we get lost in sport nutrition and we think about the highest level athletes. I mean, football's back now. We just finished the Stanley Cup and, you know, we get focused a little bit more on sort of these pinnacle athletes that sometimes we don't see, you know, the, you know, the daily warriors, the people that are just trying to make, you know, significant body transformations to improve their fitness or to be healthier in their training and exercising regularly to improve their fitness and their health, all the way to these types of individuals that have special needs, such as the ones that Adapt a Training Foundation and Dave works on. So Dave's going to bring us that story, and it's a story that is incredibly moving and inspiring, uh, and it just brings out, it brings out the absolute best in people uh, when they hear it. So we wanted Dave to tell that story and just make them more aware of, of the great work that his organization does.
Yeah, definitely. I'm curious from your perspective how you see the sports nutrition landscape today and maybe how it's evolved over the past 10 years of, of OPPO's Sports Nutrition Committee. Um, we, we hear from from other experts who, you know, the, of this, the, obviously elite athletes and bodybuilders are very different than everyday consumers, right, who are trying to stay active or maybe lose some weight, um, but maybe there's some overlap there as well. Do you see those as two distinct market segments? Um, yes and no, um, and here's the reason why. First of all, to answer the first part of your question, the way that I see the sport and nutrition industry today, uh, you know, I see it through the lens of pride, and the reason I say that is because I've been doing this a while, and what the transformation that I've seen within our industry over the last 10 to 15 years, and especially within the last, I'd say, seven years, has been truly remarkable. Um, you know, I much more transparency. I see much more collaboration between competitors um, with a common goal, with sort of a seminal thread is to do it right, but to understand what it means to do it right instead of just sort of, you know, doing it on their own and then trying to explain why they did it that way, but to work within a collaborative trade association format like we have at the American Herbal Product Association in the Sport Nutrition Committee where we can bring different concepts to a table, and then openly discuss them, hear perspective from different bodies, step back, and then reinvestigate, bring it forward again, and it's a process. Some of the things that we've done within the committee, you know, are, they take time, but we, you know, we do them with very much uh, openness and collaboration. For instance, you know, several years ago, you know, we, we openly discussed what was going on with amino spiking. And, you know, it took us about a year and a half to really get to a point where we were able to draft a guidance for best practice in, in um, you know, what, what the definition of a protein is and what amino spiking is and so forth. And it really, I think, drove change within the industry for brands to no longer, you know, do that or to be more aware that it could actually be happening. So, you know, that, that's just an example. So when I, you know, when I think about where things are now, I'm, I'm very proud and I'm very optimistic that, you know, we're clearly moving in, in the right direction and we've really come a long way so far. Um, so that's, you know, one part of it. The other thing that I think is interesting, the second part of your question is, you know, you have elite sort of pinnacle athletes, and then you have people who are exercising and training either for better health or to look better, you know, whatever the reason may be. And they are different sometimes in the, you know, the, the intensity and the, um, the volume of the training or the specificity of the training. But the bottom line is, the, the common mechanics of it are, are pretty much the same. You know, you're activating muscle to evoke a physical change. The exercise and the training will create a stimulus for the body to change for that individual, and then the nutrition will nourish the process of adaptation. So it doesn't matter if you're the highest level athlete all the way down to somebody who's just getting into the gym a couple of times a week or somebody who is you know, uh, running, you know, uh, planning to run their first, you know, 5K or whatever. If you're training and you are challenging the muscle to the point at which it will have, it has the potential to adapt, then the nutrition becomes a factor as well as far as nourishing that ad adaptation. 
So a lot of the things with regard to um, the, the relationship between training and nutrition is sort of universal. When it comes to the nutrition products themselves, <clears throat> the concepts are basically, you know, universal as well. Protein is going to be incredibly important regardless of how hard you're training. You know, protein needs are going to be elevated if you're training on a regular basis to the point where change can occur within the body. Um, you know, other types of products, you know, certainly can have application regardless of the level of athletics as well. So there's good things that um, there's great application, you know, for, you know, highest level all the way down to people who are just sort of beginning and have been doing it for, you know, a few months. Uh, so I, I see that as well. That takes us to another point, too, that, you know, sometimes you see quality, uh, sort of quality marks on products such as banned substance testing programs. You may see NSF, uh, Trust for Sport, or you may see uh, Informed Choice or Informed Sport or banned substance control group marks on products. And, you know, at the highest level, that may provide assurance that the product has gone through banned substance testing. So highest level athletes who are tested for banned substances can be confident that they will not fail a drug test. Um, but all the way down to the lowest level, you know, and you may have somebody who, you know, just goes to the gym a few days a week or exercises uh, in another way, that may not be a, you know, that may not, not be a factor, but, you know, they can be confident and comfortable in the fact that the product that they're choosing is involved in those extra quality steps to better understand not only what's in it, but what's not in it. Yeah. Um, quality assurance is certainly a, an important component of, of sports nutrition, but also the, the broader supplement industry um, itself. What are, the, are there other critical elements of a successful QA, QC program, or are there other tips, advice you give companies and brands today? You know, I, I think, and a lot of this is going to come out, and a lot of this will be showcased in the uh, Sport Nutrition Congress, and that is, you know, you know at, whether you're a brand or a supplier, you know, I was, you know, not only become an absolute expert in what you're doing, whether you're an ingredient supplier or you're, uh, you know, a marketing-based, you know, uh, sport nutrition brand, you know, just be an absolute expert in what you're doing, but also be prepared, to, you know, to put in the work and to better understand all of the aspects of, of what you're doing, to be the most compliant and the most honest and transparent uh, company that you can be. Um, and to collaborate as well because, you know, for the longest time, the sport nutrition industry being highly competitive, there was a lot more secrecy. Brands and suppliers and whatnot did not interact with one another. Um, and so there, there were a lot of, you know, a lot of examples of how things, you know, things were done differently with different brands or with different suppliers or so forth. You know, one of the goals that we have is to make sure and to help everybody understand what best in industry practices are. And the only way that we get to that is by better understanding, you know, the GMPs set forth by the FDA, as well as, you know, all the other best in industry practices to be, you know, as compliant as possible, but also be as truthful and to be as high a quality um, production, you know, facility or brand as possible for the end consumer. The only way that you really get there 
is by collaborating and networking and, and really digging into the industry that you're part of. Yeah. Do you think that collaboration is leading to to more product innovation in R&D today? And do you think that, that innovation overall is healthy in this market? Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm very optimistic. I've seen a lot of really interesting uh, innovation concepts um, you know, certainly right now, you know, there's always innovations in, in flavor work that's being done. Recently, I'm seeing more and more sort of licensed flavors uh, from maybe some childhood candies or breakfast cereals or something like that, which is translated into pre-workout products or protein products or so forth. And that's really exciting. And, you know, so that just on in the area of innovation, you know, you're just manipulating flavor, the sensory properties of whether it's a protein or an amino acid-based product. And that's really exciting because it really keeps it fresh and exciting for consumers that uh, are either new or that have been, you know, taking a protein supplement for, uh, you know, 20 years and they're like, ah, oh, chocolate again or mm, just vanilla. You know, now there, there's fruity pebbles or, you know, there's just different flavors that, that makes it kind of interesting and fun. There are other areas of innovation where we're really kind of moving into, um, I think a great example is plant-based proteins. So we're seeing that side of the sport nutrition market really develop. Um, the consumers are very curious, and they are um, investing into plant-based protein products. Now, when we do that, you know, we have to look at the supply that was currently available, say, 10 years ago, and say, is it good enough? And I think the clear answer is no. You know, the, the world of plant-based proteins, whether it was a pea protein isolate, uh, a rice protein isolate, you know, there were, a lot of, um, there were a lot of areas for potential improvement that a lot of good suppliers dug into and have vastly improved the, you know, the quality and the sensory properties, the mixabilities, all of the key elements of, you know, plant-based proteins so that they can step up and when used in, in, a, in a product, in a product formulation, they can taste a lot better than they did 10 years ago. And I've tasted some plant-based uh, protein products uh, and some formulation concepts that are in innovation right now and is vastly different than it was five to ten years ago. In addition to that, you know, um, there's been some issues uh, with digestibility that, you know, plant-based, uh, plant-derived material tends to have a lower digestibility. And so suppliers working within their innovation platforms have been able to work with their ingredients to make them have a higher digestibility, which allows for more of the protein to be a nourishing component of the product. Yeah. Um, COVID is the new context for everything these days, it seems. How do, you, how do you expect this market, which is by many accounts doing pretty well in terms of sales and growth, might be affected during the pandemic? Well, I, I think it's been a fabulous challenge um, in, in the area of, of exercise and training and so forth because what I've seen and I think, you know, other, um, other sources of information will certainly bear out as well is it just it forced people to sort of change and, and innovate their training. So as the world of sport nutrition 
products is always trying to innovate and so forth. COVID has forced a lot of individuals to be innovative as well, how they work out outside of the gym or, you know, if they can't do group training, how can they still get it done? Um, some people have shifted from one form of training to other forms of training. Um, you, you see the emergence of uh, exercise equipment, which will have, you know, um, probably greater residual effect, you know, for like home-based equipment. So you may have a lot of people that will stick with a, you know, home exercise-based program or whatever they've sort of shifted to. But, you know, so I, it hasn't stopped people. It hasn't thwarted the, the desire for people to exercise and try to improve the way that their body looks or performs. Um, it's just sort of challenged us to think about it and maybe innovate if we needed to. But along with that goes sport nutrition. You know, protein sales have been, you know, have been strong. And so that tells us that people are still engaged in the importance of training and the importance of nutrition to support the positive changes that result from training. So I think, you know, it's just, it's kind of altered and changed things a little bit, but it hasn't redirected or it hasn't stopped sport nutrition and the individual person's desire to train. Yeah, and certainly everybody's focused on, on health and wellness these days as well. Um, are, there, are there other trends in sports nutrition you might highlight or topics from the, the, the Congress that you'd like to call out that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I think in sport nutrition, um, yeah, I think one of the yeah, I, I think one of the biggest trends right now, outside of where people are shopping for products, because there's always sort of that that little bit of flex in in where people are buying their products. Certainly, there's been a lot more e-commerce, and there's been a lot more movement of products away from specialty stores. Um, of product sales away from specialty stores and into, um, you know, food, drug, mass, and club stores. So the consumers as a whole, you know, there's more shopping outside of what's, what was more traditional or where people were primarily buying, you know, sport nutrition products five years ago. So the, the point of purchase has sort of altered a little bit, but that's you know, that's not true of every brick-and-mortar retailer. Um, I know that some brick-and-mortar retailers, like the Vitamin Shop, for one, has done, you know, has done well and has done, you know, well with sport nutrition uh, in their sport nutrition line. So, you know, there's something there that they're doing that will help us understand, you know, um, what type of consumer is shopping still especially and what type of, and, you know, who's shopping elsewhere. So I think they're going to touch upon that during the Sport Nutrition Congress. Uh, the other thing that I think is really interesting as a trend is that, you know, usually in marketing and, and as we review information and data, we, we always talk about, you know, concentric rings and so forth. You know, the core consumer and then there's concentric rings out as to who else is using those rings outside of the core consumer, you know, the people who are, who are exercising, um, you know, religiously and high volume and so forth, the concentric rings further and further out are getting bigger and bigger. There's more people who are interested in sport nutrition-related ingredients uh, and sport uh, nutrition-related products than, you know, than we've seen 
I think, since I've been involved in this. And I think part of the reason is that when it comes to any body transformation, if you're trying to improve your body composition by, you know, increasing your fat-free mass, your muscle, how your body looks, and so forth, exercise has to be a core component. I think the days of simply recommending, you know, reducing your calorie intake, I, I think those days are, are long gone now. Like we and everybody has embraced you know, the absolute idea that exercise has to be a component of that. And if you want to lower your body weight, um, but you want to hold on to your muscle mass, you know, and, ma- and make your body look better as you lose body fat, you know, you have to increase protein intake and you have to exercise with resistance. And those are, you know, absolute core concepts. So it doesn't matter, you know, if, whether we're aging or we're trying to lose weight um, you know, or just exercise or whatever, sport nutrition products, especially protein-based products and certain other ones, can have, you know, uh, absolute application, you know, for those populations in addition to people who we traditionally think would be users of sport nutrition products. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're going to be covering a, a lot of ground during this Congress. Robert, thanks so much for sharing your perspective. It's been good to talk with you. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure, and, and, you know, we look forward to seeing everybody on October 21st at the APA Inaugural Sport Nutrition Congress. Thanks so much. Thanks, Robert. Take care.